Hello, my name is Honey from Valley Atbal, and you are listening and looking to Scene World Podcast. Well, hello there. It's the Scene World Podcast. I'm AJ. He's I'm Yurik. Yeah. And we're doing this again. I feel like we just recorded an intro. Not <laughs> yeah, five we, we minutes pushed ago. this out weekly lately. Yeah. Because we have uh, so much backload and um, we have to get this going. Yeah. Until the um, new year started. Yeah, in a minute we are talking we're gonna be talking to, to uh David Reichel. He is the CEO um of Color Switch uh Phoenix and he has a game called Color Switch that we will be talking about. It's a it's what? a mobile game and it's uh it's 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 a fun one and there'll be lots of you know true and we are it. actually primarily talking about color switch 2 yes. that was actually released uh in july yeah so yeah which is probably when we that. spoke to him <laughs> that is right yeah and and there was some drama too with the the original color switch which we cover on this you know so so it's it's a really interesting interview so everybody stick around and check it out and, and all that. You know, if you are the drama queen, then Seenwald is the drama king. Just in our last episode, we spoke about the watermelon Patreon yeah. drama or mm-hmm. fiasco. And now we have an interview. And in this bit, we talk about the color switch yes. drama. Yes. At least it's so, not Twin Galaxies. That's true. <laughs> so, so that that's in a minute. In the meantime, I've got a couple of little bits of news, um, which nice. are leave it to you because I have no news for this news. Well, I got two bits of magazine news. We released our, um, you know, Scene World issue number thirty. Um, that exactly. that that came out, um, and um, simultaneously, well, not simultaneously, around the same time, um, vandalism news was released at. Um, True. At um, uh, Syntax, I think was the party. Syntax yeah. 2020. Yeah, um, the, the party in Australia, mm-hmm. which I am also a staff member of. So there, I, I will, I will, I will um, announce that compl- conflict of interest immediately. Um, oh, I will disclose that. Um, aside from all those, um, the TRS 8-bit newsletter was also released. It's nice. Uh, it it has it's over eighty pages of of stuff about the TRS eighty, and it's a free download, and we'll we'll put a link to it here. Um, along with that, there's a presale for Club MS Club. Uh, I'm sorry, Club MSX magazine uh, number eleven. I guess it comes with bonus stuff with like a poster and a disc and. It's you know again it's 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 in Portuguese because I guess that that's one of the places that the MSX was really big, um, and it costs uh, twenty four ninety um, whatever the Portuguese um, currency is euro. Yeah, well, no, this has an R and a dollar sign. Then it's not in Portugal. Portugal uses euro. Yeah. Well, either way, let's see. I actually, I think it's Brazil. I think this is Brazilian. 
Brazil then speaks it's not for, yeah. Brazil speaks 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 Portuguese. Yes. Then you are talking about rios, which is the currency. There you of, go. There you go. Of Brazil. There you go. So it costs twenty four rios, and ninety. Which is which is about five U.S. dollars. So we're not talking about breaking your bank here. It's five U.S. dollars, um, and we'll put a link to that as well because it looks really interesting. And if you're into the MSX as a computer, um, it, it, check it out. Um, uh, speaking about other game, other computers, uh, TRS-80 is one that was big in the olden days. Um, and the results of the Double Do 2020 uh, competition. TRS-80, wasn't that a Radio Shack? Yes. Yes, the Trash 80. Um, the Double Do competition winners were announced in, in this newsletter, the, the, the TRS 8-bit newsletter that I just mentioned before. Um, so you can check out what the... Um, I guess this was a, a, a competition for both games for both software and and hardware um and it, and, it, and it there was both a monochrome and a color category because of the way that the computer works and stuff and um i i don't really i don't know what they i haven't looked at it so i don't know what the results of the you know the winners are but but yeah it, it's it's worth checking out i'm gonna look at the magazine later and and learn about it because Nice, because it's one of those things where it's I'm I'm fascinated by these retro machines and and usually I'm fascinated by how much they they are garbage compared to the Commodore sixty four. So they can tell us more about it in a week. Yes, let um, me do the next news. Yeah. And and again, bit. going back to machines that are not the Commodore sixty four, um, there is a. I don't know anything about this. I am so this is completely um this is if I get any of this wrong, you are free to correct me. Send an email. Yeah, contact at Scene World. Yeah, Power or podcast at Scene World, I believe it is. Exactly. Um so there is a for for the the ZX Spectrum, there is a cartridge called the the ZX Dandinator Mini. Which <laughs> is equipped with an EEPROM, um, and is supposed to be a platform for developing and releasing game cartridges for that machine. Um, they have now released Multiply, which is an add-on to the Dandinator cartridge that gives it SD card storage capacity. That allows you to, to, um, easily have, I guess, um, SD card, uh, sort of like an SD to IEC device that, that we've got thousands of them for the C64. Um, this gives you sort of something like that on the ZX Spectrum, which I think may have been lacking before. But, wow, nice. But you have to also have the, um, the Dandinator mini cartridge thing um I, but i but again i know nothing about the zx spectrum and i have no idea how it works and no idea how any what any of this is so i don't i don't 
so if if I'm wrong about any of this, if this is not how this works, then then please let us know, and and I'll we'll correct it in the next episode of this. Um, but we'll put a link to where you can find this stuff and and buy it if you have a ZX Spectrum and you want to play around with that. Nice. Send me the links. Let me yes. put that all in the podcast Absol- description. As you always say. Absolutely. Yes. And we'll have right. that right right down there below where you can see them as nice. well. Nice. Um, yeah. Alrighty. That's, and that's all I have for this for this news thing. Awesome. Um, so, so let's go and yes, let's, let's go switching colors. Yes. So today we are talking to another person, a new guest, and that would be David Reichelt. Hello. That's- Hey, welcome to the Hello. podcast. Yes, welcome. you got my last name correctly. Um, I guess because you're European, you know how to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't um, even know how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you are actually known for being a developer for mobile games, and you did Color Switch, and now recently you actually released. The second version, yep. Color Switch Two, uh huh. And um, interesting thing is that um, the the concept. I mean, the first game was more like, if I'm not mistaken, you having you having a plug and you try to cross a circle in the right color in the right moment. Yeah. And the second game is more like I would say. Uh, um, audio surf. It, it reminds me a bit of audio surf, where you go down a lane and then with the and then then trying with the ball to hit obstacles in the same color. And um, from what I saw, the color switch game became pretty famous, pretty widespread over the past years in the mobile world. And I wonder. And how did that all start for you? Did you wake up someday and decided, okay, I'm making a mobile game or I'm becoming a mobile game developer? It was very similar to what you just said, actually, because I I never was a designer of anything. I was never a programmer. I only ever played games, you know, since I was, I don't know, five or something. But one day I, I had just moved into an apartment and I went out to the living room and my roommate was at his computer and he was doing something and I just was curious and it turned out he was making a mobile game and I just started asking questions about it. He said, yeah, you outsource the work to a developer. You know, they do the artwork, they do this, they do the that. And I thought, oh, I, I always thought you had to program, but this outsourcing makes sense. And so I kind of started from there. Um, and I think I was 33, so that's back in 2013 is when I got into it. And um, I had read a book, the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he he always talked about a system of passive income. If you can create that, then you can get more time freedom to do other things and so as soon as I saw what he was doing I immediately thought of that book and I thought oh this is what he's talking about because if you could create an app a game that did really well then that would be your passive income and you could have more time freedom and so so that's basically how I got into it just kind of on a whim 
And what did you do before? As you said, you weren't a mobile game developer per se in the first place. Um, before, let's see, a lot of things. I mean, I was a medic in the military for several years. I was a music major. I was a film major for film editing. Um, I The last thing I did was a theater major. And during that, is when I got I met that friend who was through a, a friend at the college, which was Cal State Northridge in Southern California. And um, the reason I did so many things is I, I always thought, well, if I had an interest, I would go explore that interest. And if I wasn't interested enough, then I would ditch it and I'd go to the next thing. And the, mil uh, the military was uh, more of my way to get out of town and just see the world. And uh, and then everything else that happened after that was really if I hadn't joined the military, I wouldn't have done any of it. Because mm. um, when you join the military and you, you kind of um, get outside your comfort zone and you're challenged in a big way and you're able to meet the challenge, you get this confidence and then you have a confidence to try other things, which is what happened to me. And I just kept on trying one thing after another. But I, you know, like film editing, I, I wouldn't care if I spent 30 grand on on that school if I didn't like it. But like, ah. On to the next thing. So, mm -hmm. so uh, and and uh, when I started making games, I was actually working as a pool cleaner. After all those experiences, I was cleaning pools, eighty uh, grand in debt, you know, barely paying my rent, and I would clean pools in the in the daytime and at nighttime. I would always just sit there on my computer, is all day long, no social life, just working on games. And you know, I was working on games, creating games for two years. And in the beginning, I started outsourcing. But then, when I, when that game launched and it wasn't successful, I couldn't afford outsourcing again. I didn't have any more money because I, I had sold all my, I had a bunch of cameras and film gear to finance that. And so, all the other games, I had to learn how to do it myself. So I learned software that doesn't require any programming, mm -hmm. and I built 40 games on Game Salad software. And then um, after that, none of those were successful. After that, I switched to BuildBox, and that's what I built Color Switch on, which again is uh, a non-programming software hmm. um, that that they have a new version of now that does 3D games. But um, but yeah, that's kind of how the trajectory of all that. It's quite interesting. I mean, as I said, you did games before that weren't successful. So what did you um, what did change that you said okay now I found a concept that actually works and I'm going to try it again? I mean sure. the problem is nowadays there are so many things that have been there already. Yeah. How to make something new that is successful but people not excusing you of it being a ripoff? Oh well, that's. Um... It's it, yeah. It's interesting. It doesn't matter how saturated a market is. You all you have to do is find a hole that someone's not filling. Find a problem that someone's not solving. I mean, you know, in in Steve Jobs' early days, you could have said the same thing. Like, you know what? Computer markets. There's already all these companies providing all the computers for all these businesses. There's no room. And and he went the personal computer out where they weren't focusing. And and a I think they did have some personal computers, but they were either too expensive or just too cumbersome to right. use. And so he found that hole and he filled it. So it's the same with games. Um, 
uh, you know, the, the first in the first 40 games, I was focused on because I didn't know, know what I was doing. I was just I was taking action and creating without really understanding how to make a game. So I would clone games. I would, um, um, you know, I would just look at what themes I thought were people would enjoy. And so I would just reskin a template or something and and label it ninjas or whatever. Hmm. And after I got a lack of results from all of that, I had to improve what I was doing. And so I would always think, okay, why did this game not do well? What am I missing? What can I do better next time? And I would always, I would always study something, uh, whether it was a book or, you know, an interview on a website or whatever. And I always put new information in my head. And, um, and I had this book, uh, which is called Thinker Toys, and it's a book filled. It's a book of creative thinking techniques, and this is how everything is actually created. It's the concept of conceptual blending, where you blend concepts together to create new concepts. And so, whether an industry is saturated or not, it doesn't matter because if you understand how to use these tools, which you already use, you just aren't aware of it um, until you actually find a resource that actually. Uh, tells you what it is, then you realize, oh, I can create whatever I want. And when you do it with intention, which is what the book teaches you, then you can create something powerful. And so how I create Color Switch was I use these techniques in uh, Thinker Toys. They're called Slice and Dice and Scamper. Slice and Dice shows you how to take any concept and chop it up into all its attributes. So a simple example is a cup. It's got size, weight, shape, material, you can drink from it. It's universally understood and so on and so on. Now, what this does is it gives you all these perspectives to attack your problem from. So if I live in a world, an imagined world where the only cups are glass and 40% of people break their cups and have to spend money buying new ones, I can solve that problem if I hone in on material and change glass for plastic. And in a world where there are only glass glasses, I can make a lot of money because I just solved the problem. Um, so it's, so, so this book teaches you how to, how to find those holes in an industry that no one's filling and solve them. So with games, it's, uh, it's simply a game that is well-designed and that people will enjoy that solves their problem of boredom. So you can always create new games and as new technologies come out, new types of games will emerge and new experiences. So I just honed in on that problem of boredom in my specific challenge one day I said uh, I want to and that's what he says in the book state your challenge the more specific you can state your challenge the more specific a result you can get so I I specifically stated the challenge of I want to make a game that can be around in 40 years and I honed that into I want to make a game where you tap the screen and a ball goes up so I had to I had to not only make that general statement but focus it on a specific type of game so that same day, I created Color Switch, and what I did was I used that uh, slice and dice technique, and I went to, I thought, you know what, if I want to make a game that'll be around in 40 years, I should look at games that have been around for 40 years. So I looked at Uno and Pac-Man. I slice and dice both of them, and in both of those games, I found that there was a color switching mechanic used in a different way, and it was a side mechanic. It wasn't the main theme of the game, but I honed in on that, and I made it the main theme, theme of the game. And, you know, there were there were other things where I was kind of like blending this concept and that concept. But that was basically how I came across it. So I took the color switching from Pac-Man and the color switching from Uno and uh, realized that no one had ever made a 
a big game with color switching as the main theme. But I, I thought, well, if this color switching mechanic is in both of these billion-dollar uh, IPs, there has to be something very powerful um, with that specific item. And so that's what I focused on, and that's how I uh, essentially developed it. Now I have to admit I'm I'm interviewing pioneers and um, video game industry people since 20 years, but you are the first person who tells me who tells me, oh, I read this book and I did what was written in that book. Yeah. Because normally when you when you go on the internet and you have something like here is a book for to success, you know, people <laughs> are more like, oh, that's a scam. Don't buy this book. This book is useless. And you are the first person, and you mentioned already three books in the first 10 minutes of our interview that you have read and that you based your decisions on. That's something yeah, and, really unique. Yeah, and again, it comes down to if you want, there's a definition for insanity. If you repeat the same thing, expecting a different result, you'll go crazy. So how do you not repeat the same action to, you know, which would get you the same result? You have to put new information in, in your brain, and your brain is uh, basically a supercomputer, and it, it'll, it will create whatever you tell it to create. So if you have no new thoughts, you have no new ideas, which you're going to get. When, you, when you're, you read a book, that's, a, that's someone's wealth. And, you know, the most fundamental wealth is human capital. It's your brain mm -hmm. and it's the skill you acquire over years. And then if I take all that knowledge and that skill and I put it into a book, to me, that's priceless because there's no way I could ever have that person's experience and their same skill. And so when I purchase that book and I go through it and that and I ingest that information, you're actually ingesting their wealth in the format of that book. And then if you do that from a variety of books and a variety of you know, resources, you're really just putting new information in your brain and your brain's going to compute new actions and therefore you get new results. And that's what ThinkerToys uh, basically strips all that away and says, here, here is what everything in the world, whether it's organic or it's a, a thought from a, a person, this is what's happening. It's the idea of conceptual blending where you're blending these, these concepts together in your brain pops them out into new concepts and then you create these things and that's so it just shows you different ways to do that and uh it, it you know it's as simple as that H, oxygen and hydrogen together in certain amounts create water a mother and a father create a child um and and when you ingest a book combined with your brain you have new thoughts and ideas so depending uh, on the book yeah. right how well, good the that? book is depending on how good the book is yeah well, you know what, I, I, you could also say, because, you know, the, the famous film director, Stanley Kubrick, he actually said he learned a lot from bad films, because mm -hmm. what it does is it makes you think, okay, how would I make that scene work? How, what, what's missing? Is it something with the blocking? Is it the cinematography? Is it the story? What's missing? How would you improve that? So right. even a, bad, a book that you think is bad could actually have some, some idea in there that you could repurpose and do something uh, great with. And so, and that's why I say, you know, most information has some value. It just all, when you learn how to just switch your perspectives and not kind of, and I think that's what a lot of people have been trained not to do. It's, hey, go to college, learn this. We already thought this out for you and then go work here mm -hmm. and, th and think the same way. Um, uh, it's to 
different systems benefits for people not to think for themselves and to just kind of toe the line. And so when you when the the side effect of of applying thinker toys techniques and kind of thinking like that is you 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 break out of these kind of um, crystallized perspectives in anything, and you can kind of look at it from different ways and. And um, and some things are harder for people. Like like if you don't like a certain political figure, you'll think you'll think the same way about them throughout your entire life. But if you if you, when you learn how to conceptually blend and whatnot, you could look at that person and maybe just in, as an exercise to use them as a metaphor to you know, hey, I like that person. Why do I like that person? Whereas before before you just said ah, I don't like that person, and you can kind of just like use them to as like a, a source for. For inspiration for ideas and whatnot but it's pretty powerful to be able to to become fluid with your thinking and not get so stuck in a perspective because i think most often we can be our own worst enemy because we are stuck in perspectives and we are stuck in our assumptions and that that keeps us from ever achieving something big when when uh, we're trying to do so so you said at the beginning you you looked at games like Pac-Man and other similar games from the 80s and so on and looked and said like you had a color switching element and you made that the main element. What other um, decisions you made to get the color switching game on? Um, because um, I know when we emailed I actually, your your brother actually wrote me. Yeah, I, I saw you, you like you like um, iOS more than Android, and I think our game works better on on iOS. Look at the iOS version first. <laughs> so um, and and, um, and then I said like, hey, I have this I have this um, Amazon Fire tablet. And, and then then he was like, well, probably on the Fire tablet it will be not it will not be smooth enough. And I thought, why would that be a problem? I mean, it's a simple game, but it's it's really something that you have to consider when you release a mobile game. You have so many platforms, especially on Android, so many devices and so on. Yeah. And that is really making it difficult. As a as a game developer, especially as you said, you are not a coder yourself. Does that? No, I have I have programmers, and uh, and that's something that's ongoing. Where we are we are making sure it plays well on like forty dollar phones because Android, yeah, there's so much. They use cheaper hardware in general, and there's so many devices. Whereas iOS, you know, you know Apple, you know, okay. They got the iPhone 10. They got the iPhone 11, and you, you're and it's higher hardware, higher end hardware. So you know, you know when you fine tune it, it's good to go. And Android, there's so many variables, but you know it's something we are, we are, we have been, we've actually made it work on cheaper and cheaper phones, and we're still continuing that, um, and uh, as well as you know a variety does, of things. But it does work uh, nicely yeah, on my I, Android you know, phone. I, uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> it works yeah, nicely it on my like, Android phone. Oh, awesome! Which which phone is that? It's a LG uh, G8. G8. I don't know what that means because I'm not an Android user. Is that like a higher end one? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. What did I? I had a. Yeah. We we had like I have a forty dollar phone I got from South Africa and it worked decently on there. From South uh, Africa. Oh my god. Yeah, I went there for the first time this year and back. 
it was right when the whole pandemic stuff started creeping Ooh, up yeah. and I, we got out of there before it kind of, uh, took hold. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I got a, a cheap phone while I was there for, for a variety of testing and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, to this day, my main skill is design. I don't, I don't worry about learning how to code or anything like that. You just hire, you know, the technicians you need, because if you try to, I, I, and people have done that. If you try to do everything and you try, you're basically just going to go down a, a variety of endless rabbit holes in learning all the different tech you have to learn yep. and you won't be able to accomplish a lot. Whereas if you are able to get that team and then you focus on what you enjoy and what you're good at, that's how you're going to have a quicker uh, turnaround with everything you're trying to do. What I wanted to say is um, I actually, when I did this research for this interview, I saw you actually have presentations about game design and so on, right? Yeah, I've done a couple over the years. It's been a little while, so some of those are probably a couple years old. But, you know, this game came out in December of 2015, so you pr a lot of those are probably from 16 and 17. 17, yeah. exactly. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, I uh, you ever heard of Toastmasters? Not yes, me, not I me. Have, I have, yeah. So it's a international public speaking organization, and I've been a Toastmaster for nine years. And so before all this happened, I just had been going to meetings, and you go there and you do speeches, and you you know you improve and you help each other out and, and improving, and and you give impromptu speeches sometimes. Like someone will not show up. Hey guys, so and so didn't show up. Does anyone want to give an impromptu speech? And I've done that before, and. So that prepared me for doing presentations of any kind because you just I, you get to enjoy it, which is sounds odd because most people would not enjoy that. It's a scary thing, but yeah, you do. You you get to enjoy it. It's fun. It Could be fun. You, you know, it's different when you watch a presentation by somebody who is rather new in the business of game design. You know, uh -huh. than than the 50s presentation of uh, David Crane. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, oh, he he done he's he has done this like thirty times, forty times before. You know, people even come up with their PowerPoint presentation. They 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 make a variation every time, but it's still basic same presentation. So yeah. for me, it was refreshing to to see you know, comparatively speaking, a, a newbie in this field talking about his experience and his journey into game design, you know? Yeah, and I, I guess I I guess I have a pretty unique... Um, I, I mean, that's the cool thing about this industry is you, you can... Um, you can you can enter it from any kind of pathway. There's some people who have been... They started working at a company as a programmer and eventually started their own company or... You know, and then you got the guy who's cleaning swimming pools and, and making games at home. So it's, it's really fun in a, a dynamic industry that way where you can enter it from so many different avenues. Um, we, um, we, we have mentioned it before. We actually um, got in touch over Walter Day. How did you happen to, to know Walter Day, by the way? Because you said at the beginning you, you um, go rather well along with him. Yes. I uh, so again, it goes it goes to what I was saying earlier about ingesting new information. So that doesn't just have to be a book. And for me, it's any experience. Um, so I had never gone to a retro convention, and I love retro games. You know, I, if I showed you 
the other end of my room, there's probably a thousand Nintendo and Super Nintendo games I'm looking at over there. Uh, and I just love I love playing all the old stuff because you gotta know your history as a game designer, and you gotta you can get inspiration from Atari or Commodore games or or ColecoVision, etc. And so I went to my first retro convention because I've never been to one. And as soon as I enter there, I, I look over, and you know you can't miss Walter and Billy when you when you uh, see them, and they're they're totally dressed the part and everything, and they were at a booth. And uh, so we immediately went over there because we we're like, all right, we got to get some pictures with these guys. And uh, and yeah, I just became friends with Walter at that point. One of the nicest guys uh, I ever met. And uh, and uh, Bill and Billy Bill uh, Billy's uh, really nice too. I, I think he plays up his character from the movie. Yeah. But um, really nice guy. They actually both stayed at my house. Um, I think last year. Um, uh, for for uh, Walter had uh, a p- birthday party at a pinball museum in Banning, I think, and so they stayed at my house and went to that, and that was a lot of fun. Um, the my my uh, funny story, uh, well, not a funny story, but we were we were at the pinball museum, and someone runs in at the end of the night, and they said, "We need a medic. We need a medic," and uh, at, you know, someone's outside needs help and me and my my buddy were there and we were both uh military medics so we ran out and someone had plowed their car into the building and and mm. i mean it was serious and so we went you know started checking out the girl you could she reeked of alcohol and mm. uh you know not good now there was a car on the street that was it was smashed half in and so we 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 ran over there and we're like, oh my gosh, who, you know, is anyone in here? And we're just making sure no one was in there because the license plate was like on top of the car. It was, it was a, a mangled mess. And, uh, I had a wow. couple other friends inside and my friend was, was looking at it too. And he's like, uh, he's like, wow, look at this car. And he looked down the street and he said, look down that way. He's like, I could have sworn I parked out here. And, uh, <laughs> and he looks up at the license plate. He's like, oh, it's my car. <laughs> Oh. oh, I think he had been planning on leaving earlier, so I was like, "It's a good thing you you didn't leave. You never know." So I don't know what happened with the girl. She was alive and everything. The cops came and paramedics and uh, took over that took over that situation. Wow. But um, but yeah, that happened towards the end of the night over at the the the. You never know what's going to happen to the pinball museum. Yeah, wow. I guess the moral of the story. <laughs> Actually, interesting. Um, you, by the way, mentioned you have to know your stuff history-wise when you are yeah. a game designer, and that is the biggest problem when the game designers pick up an old IP and make a successor of it. I mean, when when I go, go to conventions like Gamescom or any other conventions, and and I'm talking to the young game designer in his twenties, like, yeah. yeah, I'm making the new Larry game, you know. Or I'm making the new Need for Speed, and then I'm asking something like, "Yeah, so so you are making the 50th version of Need for Speed. How does this cast interest right. for the retro people that played the first game in '95?" And then right. they're like, uh, 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 they don't know what to answer, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. So um, that's often a problem that I cause a lot of ooms. To game I, when I, I suppose, and, and you know that's why you're only gonna in any industry 
you're only going to have a handful of people that really stick out because like, you know, if you, you think of Steven Spielberg, for example, all the movies he's, he's made that are iconic. Well, if you listen to him in an interview, he'll say, uh, he'll say, you got to know your entire history of film. You got to watch the silent films. You got to learn from, you know, the John Ford and sure enough, I'll watch an old John Ford film and I'll say, ah, that's Spielberg. That's a Spielberg shot right there. And, and John Ford had done it in the forties. So, and, 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 you know, and that, that comes to not, he's not copying, but you're being inspired. It's like a jazz musician who will reference a lick from an old Miles Davis song and then do something different with it. And that's what conceptual blending is. It's, it's taking what's been done and blending it into something new. And so no one, like if a, if a, iconic shot of a sunset from Lawrence of Arabia uh, is done. doesn't mean they own it, but Spielberg, he'll put that shot in um, Empire of the Sun or he'll put it in um, Indiana Jones when they're riding off into the sunset, which is the classic cowboy kind of ending. And uh, it's not a copy. It's just, it's a visual film. It's film, visual film language that it gets repurposed and reused in different ways. And so, and so that's the whole point of being aware of your history is take that, what the things that inspire you remix it and do something new with it. And, you know, even though in Pac-Man, the color switching of, you know, eating that big pellet, the ghost change color and you can eat them, even though the color changing was used and it was also used in Mario when he gets the flower and he, his suit changes colors, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter because we can all reuse it in some new way and create something new. And so not everyone does this. Not everyone works on knowing their history and being inspired, but instead, you know, using lesser methods. And I don't think that's anything that will ever go away because uh, it's just people have different wants and desires. Not everyone wants to work on being inspired or work on designing something at a high level maybe their main motivator is just hey i can probably make a million bucks if i do this and that's their motivator so different different things will get you different results and i guess that's why uh uh you know uh why we're all different so now we spoke about the first color switch game well, let's before we switch go yeah. before yeah. we switch sure. uh, to something different um color switch yes yeah. yes <laughs> I'd also like to talk about working with publishers because a lot of times we get um, we talk to games when they're before they're out. Now, Color Switch has been out for a while, um, yeah. and there was a little bit of drama with the publisher of the game back in I guess it was the end of 2017, early 2018. Yep. How does that like how? And that was a. That was a, a conflict between the game designers, being you and your team, and the publisher yeah. who was putting it out. And how would that play out? Like, like what kinds of things did you have to deal with? Well, that that's still ongoing. I actually have an international case uh, I'm fighting with them that's been going on since, like, 2018. So there's probably a variety of things I, I couldn't talk about at this moment in time. Mm -hmm. But it'll be great for a follow-up interview okay. once that's said and done um because because uh yeah it'll it i just know from experience like uh anything during a case that's going anything you say that could be kind of construed as you know this way or that way um that it can be done so all i'll say is 
the key is, you know, when I when I did that initial uh, publisher contract, again, I'm the guy cleaning swimming pools, 80 grand in debt. I couldn't even afford a lawyer to look at the contract when. So I, I was I was someone who who signed a contract who, you know, terms were not explained to me that 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 would uh, could be read a variety of ways. And um, and then, you know, it's kind of definitely a big learning experience. But um, but yeah, it's it's still an ongoing case. And gosh, I remember reading about um, Ralph Baer, who uh, made invented the first uh, home console. And he actually, I think Magnavox, I don't know if he sold the rights to the patent to Ma- Magnavox, I can't remember that, but I do know that they were in court for decades. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be in court for decades, but <laughs> decades for, right. for all that to go on. And, um, and so, yeah, court stuff, I've learned so much about working with lawyers and legal this and legal that and uh, things that you don't think are going to take a long time they definitely take longer than anticipated but um but yeah all, all that's ongoing and uh totally uh up for a follow-up once it's all said and done because it it's a sure. fascinating story just yeah. being the person going through all of it i'm like man this is fascinating all different things that have happened because i've been to dubai i've been to wow. court meetings there where i had to wow. present my evidence you know cool. like like, hey, I actually designed this. Here's my original files and stuff like that. It's a very fascinating experience because uh, because of its. I had to go to internet uh, court and another another completely different legal system. So, but I would say the the um, what I would say to anyone with you know with publishing uh, deals or just make sure you have a lawyer go over everything with you and 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 if you can't afford one, figure out some way to borrow five hundred bucks or whatever from someone you can so you can get that perspective because yeah. um especially if you have a game that that is uh designed to be able to you know have an impact big impact then also you know can create a big situation right so i think i think i can say all that without getting myself in some kind of situation <laughs> yes yes uh, interesting that you mentioned it ralph bear i happen to be the last person who did the inter uh, who did an interview with ralph bear and oh, wow. even the longest one yeah wow um so and he even spoke about his court appearances and so on yeah. so maybe i should send you the link to that interview yeah i'd, yeah. I'd love to watch that that was a whole a coincidence. Friends were like, ah, oh, you know, Ralph Bear is already 90, so you should probably interview him soon. <laughs> and then a few weeks after I released the interview, I heard the news that he actually died. So, oh, wow. So, he had a good run, though. He, he made it into the 90s. That's a pretty good run. Right, right, and yeah. Good take, and it's just an example of, I have a, I have a good friend, um, Richard Turner. He's the... Uh, number one card mechanic or card cheat in the world. Um, he, you, you, if you Google him, you'll find his documentary that came out about him and pretty fascinating. But he said, don't ever do tomorrow what you can do right now. Not even later today. If you know you could do it right now, do it right now. Because, and sure enough, there's there's a ton of things that I, I was, you know, in my life I thought, oh, I'll get to that later. That was 20 years ago. Right. You know, so it's very true, and so so it's uh, it's great you took action on that because, as you said, you don't know what's going to happen. 
he was up in his 90s and sure enough two weeks later you didn't you would not have had the opportunity but now you have this archive that people can learn from so right right yeah yeah it's interesting that you mentioned so much things and people that i already spoke to before so it's like you already knew who who i knew or something <laughs> i inside your brain <laughs> or you read it in a book who knows you know yeah <laughs> But that is that is something I didn't do yet. I didn't release a book yet, you know. Um, so well, so now that we now that we spoke about the uh, court thing, that of course you can't really talk about. Let's let's move on. Color switch two. Yes. How did that happen? I mean, as we mentioned at the beginning, it's a total different concept, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So the idea was, um, you know, the first game we have all these modes and I thought, well, I don't want to do another 2D game because it'll feel, to me, I thought it would feel like an, another mode to people because we've, it's kind of like we already did sequels in the game. So my, my main inspiration is my favorite video game company, which is Nintendo. And I thought, you know what? I remember having the experience going into Toys R Us and seeing Super Mario 64 for the first time and being blown away because that was the first time I saw Mario in 3D. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll do that jump. I'll jump from Super Mario uh, to Super Mario 64 with Color Switch 2. And so the inspirations for it were a lot of 80s stuff. I mean, um, was, uh, well, not Mario Kart, but it was Mario Kart, um, just the overall general visual aesthetic of Nintendo, Blade Runner, uh, Tron, um, specifically the Tron Legacy trailer for Tron 2. Um, I love the light cycle, how it, it went kind of mm -hmm. underneath the main um, oh, level. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. when you play my game, sometimes a road will open right under you and you'll go into a tunnel and get a bunch of stars or whatever. <laughs> and, and so that was part of the inspiration because plus I, I looked at all these 3D games that were on the App Store and I said, you know, Nobody has like a multi-level road, and I thought it'd be cool because you know even any racing game I've ever played, you see a tunnel coming up, but you don't have the road open up, and then you're just pushed into a tunnel. So, so I thought that would be a fun way to surprise people, and um, and uh, so yeah, it was a lot of those inspirations. It was a lot of looking at what's on the app store, what is you know what are these three D games that are doing well that where you're going down a road. And what can I add to it? Again, I would slice and dice, and I would I would find kind of things I could add. So I added a. I, I also noticed that there there's only one camera perspective usually, so I added a bunch of different ones. So when you change the camera during the gameplay, the feeling of the game can be more or less intense, and that can change. Yeah, how I I also read the reviews, and some actually said that was a negative point. The changing. Ca camera angle yeah well it, i mean you can you can also look at color switch one and there's one star reviews of people who hate it so yeah you you uh you can't make everyone happy for sure and some people will look at it as oh look at this gimmick or whatever but a lot of thought actually went into it because i was like the goal was how can i surprise players and make them feel excited as they play the game and the the key for me was okay i'll add t surprising tunnels i'll add camera changes 
and I will have the experience where you're going through a city at night because I thought, well, what could people relate to for a 3D game? You could just go straight minimalistic, but I thought, well, it'd be cool to maybe have like a minimalistic city lit up. Um, be, and, then, and then that also allowed us to put ads, video ads in the game on the buildings, etc. Because because that also happens when you go to a city, you see video ads on the buildings. But yeah, I, I saw, I did see a couple of comments where people, but you'll see both. You'll see people, I love this game, this and that. And then you'll, people, you'll see, have people who, I don't like the camera changes, whatever. And it just goes to, you do want to listen to customer feedback. So um, if I saw an overwhelming amount of people who were like, I hate this camera change. And it was like 90 something percent of people, then we'd probably get rid of most of the cameras or we might we might alter it in some way so that the people who are playing it are enjoying it so you can always and that's a great thing about games is you can always adjust things and we do that's key to to any product what's the customer feedback um the customer feedback for a lot of the latest star wars films wasn't great and so <laughs> now going forward they're gonna have to consider that because uh you know you ultimately star wars for example is a product and people are used to that product being designed a certain way. And when you go away from that in a major, major way, your customer is not going to be happy and you're going to lose revenue, etc. So it, it depends. I mean, if you, for example, compare uh, the Ghostbusters movie, I personally didn't think it was such a downer that the main actors were female. I didn't uh, think that this would make the movie bad. But for some people, it, it, it was. Um, but the difference between a movie and the game is if somebody doesn't like the camera angle changing, you can sa just say, make it an option and let people switch off. But if you yeah. look, uh, if you watch uh, the new game, uh, if you if you watch the, the latest Ghostbusters movie, you can't make an option for male <laughs> characters, you know? Yeah. That's the main difference here. If you did, you would get yourself in a big trouble. Like, oh, we'll just switch out the actor's CGI. Yeah, yeah. CGI characters uh well that gets no, into think, film theory too and the fact that that a lot of people when they when they when they get into stuff like that they're not looking at it from a specific school of of, of film critic theory but they're looking at it from canon and that's not yeah. you can't really do that and still judge a film's merits and merits. right and yeah. i mean i i i also think it's like uh i i think i saw half of that movie and I didn't finish the rest to, for me, it was more of a directing problem. Mm -hmm. Um, because like, if you look at someone like, uh, Mel Gibson and his film Apocalypto, a lot of those actors never acted before. Um, and so it, when you get a really good director, you can get a really good performance out of someone who doesn't even have any acting skills. And so I felt when, if I see people on the screen who, are doing things that aren't funny or that I don't feel are funny or the scene's not compelling, I say, okay, well, it's more of a technical thing, like the director. It's not, you know, uh, it's not the uh, actor's fault. Um, but they'll get the blame because they're the visual right. person you see for a lot of people who don't understand the filmmaking process. Right. So, um, but because you could have Bill Murray and the whole crew in there, which we've seen movies where you have the actual original cast and it's still like ah this doesn't feel because it, it, it is a challenge to okay how do we top ourselves how do we actually make another product with this franchise that's also great and you can't you can't say okay let's make a iconic film come you know you, no one can like spielberg with et 
couldn't say, okay, E.T. for sure is going to be iconic and, and this and that. and Or Jaws, you know, I think he said Jaws was his most difficult film ever to make. And and they really had to make things work in editing because the, the shark wouldn't work. And so yeah. they had to get creative yeah. with how they represented the shark. And so, so yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into a lot of these things. And and gosh, you know, Sergio, I was just reading about Sergio Leone, who, who's famous for the spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. His last film, he spent 10 years prepping, and it was a, a financial failure. And he died before he made another film. And so you're thinking, like, whoa, even this guy who had all the success through his career, his last film was a, a financial uh, failure. But it doesn't matter because in the end, it's at as long as you're always learning, you're going to have some things that hit really big, some things that don't, some things in the middle. And, and or if you're like Spielberg, you could have a lot of hits, but he still had failures. Like 19, yeah. his 1941 was supposed to be a comedy, and and he was not. He said hey, that was the last comedy I made because I'm not great at that kind of filmmaking. So you think the most technically proficient filmmaker, the most financially successful one ever even he can't do everything great and so it's kind of like the idea of just focusing on what you can do well and hopefully producing consistency and and for that ghostbusters film i i don't know the details but i would i would uh, guess that it's not the same team behind the scenes who produced the originals and so you're going to have you might have the franchise but when you get different people behind it you're going to have different results. It's it's impossible not to. And so, um, yeah, there's just all, all sorts of stuff to, to factor in. Um, and, and that's why the Star Wars, the new Star Wars films were so different because George Lucas isn't behind him anymore. And he was the yeah. main creative force. But even he couldn't meet fan expectations. With right. The pre- so yeah. even these successful top-of-the-field guys cannot be successful every single time not possible but well always learn and, and well, just keep going what, what was just george lucas was already criticized for is like let's do a remake let's do a remaster no. let's oh, changing, yeah, well, yeah, let's no. changing yeah. whole yeah. scenes of the movie yeah. because now we have the technology I and don't. I don't. I don't disagree with that. With that. With doing that either, because you know he's yeah. he's kind of famous for saying that, like you know, you're you're uh, uh, someone's work is never quite. You never finish a a work. Yeah. You know, and and so like yeah, he likes to go back and change it, and people have a real issue with that. The only issue I ever had with any of it is the, is him putting no in the last Darth Vader scene. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. irritates yeah. me, but but <laughs> but again, that's what the movie is now. So I you you got you uh, live with it. Yeah. Anyway, for over ten years, there was no way to purchase as a individual in the store the original unedited mm-hmm. version. Right. Just just a few years ago, they released it on on Blu-ray. Yeah. Really? Um, yeah. The yeah. the original. Because I thought it was only I have DVD. Uh, it's actually on these DVDs. It's like a special feature where you can watch the originals. Yes, and right. I didn't know they had it on Blu-ray. Right, but the problem is, you know, as technology changes, suddenly you you are moving to a new technology, and people who just started collecting movies yeah. don't have the chance to go back to the other version on VHS right. or whatsoever. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 always a big problem. So, um, 
but interesting that you compare video game producing with movies. Um, well, think about it. You have you have a lot of similarities. You have cinematography. You have um, you you have uh, uh, there there can be acting. There there's uh, there's um, uh, any kind of visual you can think of. Music. Any kind of audio. Um, any kind of any kind of medium. Any kind of art medium. You can put it all into a video game. Now, Color Switch, of course, doesn't have all that, but Halo does. And, um, you know, a lot of the cinematography that you'd find in a film can be in the cutscenes of Halo. So, so yeah, video games really is kind of the ultimate art form because you can put anything into it and utilize it. Um, it's all depending about storytelling. Yeah. And, I, gosh, what, what are we going to do when the, the video game experience is you as Luke Skywalker going through the actual film scene by scene like yeah. you're there. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be powerful and that could be way more powerful than just passively watching a film because now you are the hero, you are doing these things, you're having these experiences that you cuz what if you have a what if they come out with a a machine that you can put in your house that when you get into it and you got your VR on, it feels like you're in the Falcon or it yeah. feels like you're in the land speeder, depending on how it adjusts its mechanics. So, well, this is a bit yeah. kind of be going back to the old form of storytelling too, which is that, you know, it's only been in the last hundred years or so that storytelling turned into what it is now. Like it used to be an yeah. interactive experience. You'd have someone there talking and then the people that were listening would be interacting and, you know, there would be some back and forth. And now it's just these static a book or a movie, and you sit and you yeah. watch it, and there's no interaction. You don't do anything with it. Yeah. And video games kind of get back to that yeah. that original yeah. interactive storytelling aspect. I uh, I was in Tokyo in 2018, and I went to their VR center, and they had VR Mario Kart, and they had a, a, a cart that you actually got in, and it would move around, and... It was a lot of fun. They had ones where you're in a giant mech. They had where you're canoeing. Um, a lot of the experiences were pretty powerful, and you could still see that they had a lot of growth to happen over the next couple of years. But even where they were, they were very powerful. So, um, so yeah, interactive uh, interactivity is going to get. Uh, I think that's seems like where video games are going. Uh, and you, you'll you'll I think you'll you'll probably always have some format for the the non-gamer who just wants to pick up a game for a couple minutes like the mobile game market is mostly comprised of but there's a i mean there's sky's limit for for where video games are going to go in all these ways which is cool because when you create a game that 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 um does really well you can you can always repurpose that for the new technologies as they come out because look at pac-man it started on a giant arcade that weighed a ton and now you can play yeah. it on your mobile phone you can play it on your consoles you mm -hmm. can download it you can stream it whatever yep. even google had had it where you could play on on the web browser true so you have once you create that ip and that product you can you, you can get mileage out of it for forever so is that your plan for color switch to get an yeah. ip like mileage from it yeah yeah, I uh, I feel like the original for sure. I mean, we still do real. That's our flagship product, and that's still uh, doing really well to this day. And um, and uh, as as technologies come out, we're gonna do the same thing where we repurpose it for the different formats. Um, and uh, 
and then and then under that brand, you know, there, I have dozens and dozens of Color Switch branded games under that brand that are different game experiences that we're going to be coming out with. Um, we might come out with three games this year that are hyper casual, you know, um, very very minimalistic um, that wouldn't take us too long to build. But you know, I've got I've got a variety of of games in mind for that brand because again, once you you know, like once Coca-Cola creates Coca-Cola, they create <laughs> Cherry Coke, they create, True. you know, yeah. Coke, they, Lemon, you know, Lemon. You yeah. just do lemon. updates to your product. And, and so yeah, he, just, he in German, Lemon is big. Really? Ew. Yeah, he in German, Lemon is big. Okay. Lemon, okay. Lemon. Well, we got Lemon Lime. Lemon Lime is a yeah. big U.S. Yeah. kind of flavor, Lemon Lime. And uh, even, even like at a bar, people will put like a Sprite mixed with whatever. Um so, uh, but yeah, so it'll, it'll be, it, it'll be fun to see what new technologies come out and we'll just, like I said, repurpose our flagship product, but then also come out with a variety of games under the brand because, because it's so minimalistic. It's kind of like the T-1000 from Terminator 2. We can form ourselves into whatever we want to be because <laughs> yeah. we're starting at a minimalistic spot. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'm old, but not obsolete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so this this would perfectly fit to this new console that's coming out next year. You know the Amico from Intellivision. I don't know if you have heard about that. No, I hadn't heard about it. Ooh. I know oh. Intellivision, You're but about I know to. they're coming out with a new console. No, uh, Tommy Tellerico, you know uh, the composer who also worked on Earthworm Jim, is together with Hans Eppisch, who mm. who who released the first censored video game in Germany. Yeah. They are working together on recreating um, the um, casual gaming experience, you know. Ah, yeah, and so they they want to they want to enter the casual gaming market again, yeah. you know. I'll have to yeah. look into that. Yeah. So so I see after this interview, I have to send you a couple yeah, yeah. of links with interviews and podcasts with it. So um, may, maybe that is something because. Um, I know that the two guys from Intellivision are always looking for new games to put into the console, uh, you know, and uh, publishing it on the market for the for the Emeco platform. So maybe yeah. maybe that is something, you know. Yeah. Because for me, it it sounds like a perfect match because it's very a casual gaming, but it's yeah. not it's not like super easy. You right. have to get a hang of it, but it's yep. not as frustrating as Flappy Bird, you know? Right, yeah, not that. <laughs> but, it, but it's funny, people have compared it to that game many, many times because you're going through a constant barrage of obstacles, but yeah. definitely not as hard as Flappy Bird because that game was pretty difficult. And 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 this guy made made millions within weeks, and he and he wasn't happy with it. Apparently, he lived at a small village, and he was just a very introverted guy. And he got a exactly. lot of sending exactly. him messages and everything, and he just, yeah, he did not like that. He couldn't handle all this fame and interest in in, in his person throughout the game. Exactly, you you know your stuff. Impressive. <laughs> I I try. I mean, if I. I, I'm, I, the goal is to learn something new every day. So I'm learning from from this interview. I'm, I've I've learned some things, and um, yeah, always trying to to utilize the time because, like I said, before you know it, 20 years is gone. You're like, 
whoa, how did that happen? I remember when yeah. I joined the military and you join and it's eight year contract and you're thinking, this is never going to end. And gosh, that ended the the actual contract ended nine years ago. So time time yeah time yeah. you know it being slow is an illusion. It's pretty fast. So don't waste it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. So you have plans for color switch, as yeah. as I as I figure, yeah. But oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so a switch physical release would be something, perhaps. A what? A switch physical release would be yeah. probably something. Yeah, we would we would uh, like to to you know we were working on the sequel for a long time, and we're just we're just working on a variety of titles to beef up everything and then once once we do that then we want to start kind of branching out to more and more different things and focus on yeah it could be getting on the switch or i know there's a lot of it's a whole different political system to get on a console so that's probably yeah. something to partner with someone to help that make you know be a smooth thing and um yeah be great to i i mean one of my one of my personal things i'd like to do is just have a, an Atari version, uh, Nintendo Entertainment System version of Color Switch, uh, actually coded and get like an actual cartridge produced in the box and everything, just just so I could have it. Because I know that the creator of Halo did that. He created a version of Halo for Atari Twenty Six Hundred. So it would be more of a fun thing to do, just for my own personal. Just the problem with Switch and. Um independent developers that really frustrates me is they usually go with limited run or signature games and those those publishers when you try to order such a game they are sold out within five minutes or something oh wow so the chance that you actually get a physical release is very low and then then a few weeks later you find them for 150 bucks on ebay yeah yeah. Like, oh my god, oh my god, oh it's my like god. It's like when I was a kid and you're looking for the new toy and the the guys who, who buy them all up, they sell them in the comic book store for, you know, 100, 200 yeah. bucks. Yeah. So, so I hope if you really come out with the Switch version, you go a different publishing route. We'll do our best. So Because that is always frustrating, Switch. you know? Yeah. 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 And then, and then, then, then you have the other thing that some publishers make contracts with both companies, and one is European and one is American, and the American is getting the ex exclusive first, and then as a European you pay triple the shipping and customs, and then a few weeks later you get the same game for cheaper without without the high shipping and without the um, VAT by customs within Germany. I'm like, oh my God, you know, or within Europe. And you are like, yeah. why didn't they tell you that? Because they weren't allowed because of contracting. Well, that's nice. So yeah. um, fortunately, in this very case, um, that was um, 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 actually, I have it here. It was um, Streets of Rage 4. That was actually the game where they had this shiny. Isn't that an old, that, isn't that an old game where yeah. it was like yeah. 90s or something? Exactly, exactly. Uh, for the Mega Drive, which is called Genesis in America. Right, but, right. but they made recently a physical version. And fortunately, I read about this, this bullshit publishing trick on Twitter before I ordered. 
yeah. kid from America. So I was one of the few people that was lucky to not buy it for expensive means. Um, but it's it's really something that makes me sour. That um, um, I mean, being something limited edition is yeah. is good. But having something limited that's sold out within five minutes, even yeah. if you try hard, that's really that's really not not Don't worry, so nice. No matter what they do, we will not let them put us in a sour mood. You know, um, it's just it's just something I've noticed for for the Switch and and other platforms, uh, yeah. kind of you know, and um, so right. Well, then, then it's even better to make a Kickstarter because then you know you're getting your item in the long run, even if it right. takes longer. You know. Yeah, because you lock in. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of uh, uh, the uh, the Atari that was supposed to come out like a year and a half ago. I locked that in. Been waiting for a while for that to come out. Oh yeah, yeah. They 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 have been up and down. That maybe something shady is about it, and then they said no, it's not. And, We'll see how about that happens. Yeah, we'll see. Still waiting. So, is there anything that's coming out soon after Color Switcher, um, Color Switch Two, that you can tell us about that isn't a secret? Um, I mean, there, like I said, we have a variety of hyper casual games we're gonna come out with, um, and uh, can't get too. I mean, that's the thing with games. I mean. Uh, <laughs> You can you can expect people. I mean, we have taken down over two thousand Color Switch clones. Um, as soon as the game comes out, people start cloning it. Flappy Bird yeah. had a lot of clones. So even if someone watched this and they heard like a detailed description, they'd be like, "Ah, I'll start building that." Bum, bum, bum. Um, so all I can say is, there's a variety of hyper casual games. There's um, a lot of different games that will involve actual characters and things. Because like I said. We'll get very specific in um, different ways, and I mean, there's there's no limit to where I feel like we can stretch the brand because, again, very minimalistic. I mean, look at Mario. Look how many he was a he was a jumping guy in Donkey Kong, and now yeah. you got all these crazy experiences with all these different 3D games and and Mario Kart and all these different things. And so, really, uh, I you know. Nintendo is an example of showing that you can, if you can think of a way to stretch your brand, you can make it work. You just have to make sure it's the experience is designed well, and that that that's why that's why the industry came back in the states because their their number one priority was game design, whereas that hadn't been, and so everyone you know hated games for a little bit because you know the games that were coming out weren't very good. I mean the famous ones being ET on the twenty six hundred and Pac Man. <laughs> yeah. We uh, we we had a uh, uh, three hours interview with Show Lewandowski about this topic, you know, how he how he how he did this dig in the desert of New Mexico, digging up all the um, oh, yeah, consoles and and cartridge uh, um, um, that that was buried down thanks to the video game crash in eighty um, three. Yeah, and that is actually by the. Nintendo Entertainment System is called Nintendo Entertainment System, yes. and it's looking like a DVD player yep. because they wanted to make it look like an appliance they for the TV records. Switcheroo on all the department stores. 
Yeah. yeah. I had to rob the robot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that robot thing never came to Europe. But yeah. then like we didn't. Cash Brothers. Right. Right. But then we didn't we didn't have the video game crash here in Europe. Yeah. Right. I don't think Japan had either. It was mainly America, and I can't remember who else. If there was anyone else. Yeah. No, it was mainly America. Yeah. 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 So where can people go to find out about uh, uh, Color Switch and Color Switch Two? Where can they find the game? Well, uh, it's going to be on Google Play and uh, iOS now. If you go to our website colorswitchworld.com it'll just redirect you to the app store mm-hmm. um, we have our colorswitch.co company website but uh, we just acquired colorswitch.com someone had it for a long time when we finally got colorswitch.com because so many people email me and it doesn't go through and oh yeah. it's .co not .com and uh, so so we'll be setting that up pretty soon, but we, you know, right now it's colorswitch.co. We'll be colorswitch.com and then colorswitchworld.com, and we have an Instagram uh, uh, for colorswitch um, that people can can follow for for updates and whatnot. And we also have a Facebook page. Cool. We will put links to all of that in the podcast description. You see that you have your colorswitch T-shirt on, right? Yes, colorswitch. I am legally obligated to wear (laughs) branding during this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting to to meet somebody who isn't originally a game designer, as said, a pool cleaner, and then reaching out and actually entering this world. Um, Nice, nice. I will have to send you guys. um, I have a keynote where I showed all my previous games and. You know, if you looked at this game that was before Color Switch and then Color Switch, you wouldn't know the same person created it because the 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 design is completely different. Because again, I had to I was making all these games that didn't do well, and I had to change how it came, how I went about it, and right. it's night and day. And there was I didn't mention there was an entire year between the the game before Color Switch and Color Switch. So anywhere in that year, I could have just given up and never known that. Uh, that the, the next game would be the one that took off because it was a very frustrating process. A lot of I would get depressed all the time because I just wasn't getting any results at all. And again, it goes back to that doing the same thing over and over, you know, right, expecting right. a different result. Well, I did that 40 times in a row and it didn't feel like I was making progress, but I was because I was ingesting new information and, and kind of thinking about everything. But yeah, it was a whole year between those games. And that's why I always tell people, don't ever give yourself a time limit because you can't choose when something's going to happen. All you can do is choose to take action. And uh, I think it was Wayne Gretzky who said, you'll miss 100% of the shots you never take. Yeah. So there's all these people who just don't take a shot because of whatever reason or they stop taking shots. And really, you gotta you got to be willing to stay with it and uh, until you get to the the um, goal you're trying to get to and uh, because because we can't tell the future and so all you can do is is improve your thinking so that you have you can't and you can't guarantee results but by improving your thinking and constantly adapting and evolving that and not staying stuck in something you did a year ago that's how you can have the, the best chance of success even though it's not guaranteed 
but the, the key is how you think and how you process experiences is your choice. And that is something that you're in charge of, even if you're not in charge of how you look or where you're born and all these things. So that was in my head of, okay, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do this until I figure out the solution. And then that's how I got, finally and, got. And as we figured out doing these interviews, um, there is still, despite of the internet, still different um, scenes and separated users in the game industry and computer industry general. Look, yeah. look at Hungary that had that had its own history for retro gaming. Or just recently, we did an interview with, with about the Russian um, video game yeah. industry and right. computer industry. And, and I don't um, think about those industries. So. There's a lot I gotta learn from all that. If there's yeah, any link to that stuff, send those too. <laughs> no, not 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 released yet, but once it is, we'll let you know. Oh yeah, yeah if you come out with any books about anything retro gaming, um, which sounds like you could because you have a lot of knowledge in that area, I buy all that stuff. I have <laughs> so many game books about retro games, and yeah. um, Atari has a great book which. It's on my bookshelf at the moment, but it was about it was like an 800 page book about the whole history of Atari, and I oh. find it fascinating. Well, I don't I don't read so much books anymore. I'm mostly watching stuff on YouTube. That is how I found your presentations, oh. and um, you know, reading a lot of Wikipedia entry and you know, and entering tons of discussions where people think they know the truth. Despite they are wrong, and then they are insisting about yeah. Uh, yeah. insisting on being right. And that that's is like... a interesting phenomenon because you know before I made uh, you know before I got into games or right when I got into games, people and I think they do it with the intention to help you, but it, it actually holds people back, and that's where they say, oh, you should do this instead, or why Why is he making games? He's not going to be successful with that. He's right. not going to make any money with that. He should go get a regular job, and people, when they don't, don't understand something, they, you know, it's like your parents, your friends, or whatever, they're trying, in their mind, they're trying to help you, they're trying to keep you from getting into something where you're going to waste time, or money, or go bankrupt, mm -hmm. and, so, and so, but it is an interesting phenomenon where people who know nothing about the actual um, topic have such strong opinions about it. Yeah, like to say that games don't make any money. That just blows my mind that someone has that opinion when there's a whole industry and there's been an industry since right. games came out. Right. Uh, it, it just blows my mind that people think they don't make any money for one thing, but people do have such, they have very strong opinions, and and they'll just lock into them. And that's what I was talking about earlier, where having the ability to have flexible thinking and not not be stuck in one perspective is essential for creating things and mm -hmm. just uh, being able to you know improve your own life in general because because oftentimes we are our own worst enemy um, on a small or big level true true yeah I, I see I see why you get along with Walter day so, so much. Yeah, he has the same kind of argumenting and uh -huh. you know background uh, stuff and stories and theories. You are thinking the Walter. same way. I I look forward to possible future adventures with Walter because he's uh yeah he's a lot of fun to hang out with. 
yeah he, he he talks a lot like you and of course if you want to make a follow-up with us uh, yeah. once you can talk about this oh, yeah, grant and publisher issues you're welcome I, uh, anytime anytime i'm i'm going to be coming out eventually with a book and like i said there's just so many things that have happened it's pretty fascinating just to be kind of on the inside and and yeah when um so maybe when when all that's over i'll have a i'll have a book that that uh will have some interesting things in it too but uh totally that'd be that'd be awesome i will look forward to it all right so yeah awesome nice well it was a pleasure meeting both of you uh enjoyed the 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 uh time with you guys and it'll be fun to do another one later on sure Definitely. Good luck at court and stuff. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye.